Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Ria. Well, good morning, everybody. It's hard to believe that we're going on three months of a stay-at-home order, isn't it? I mean, to me, it's felt at times surreal and overwhelming even. Um, At the same time, I've never felt like I've been closer to God where I'm hearing his voice more clearly. But I just want to take a moment and ask you, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you frustrated? Are you feeling lethargic a little bit at times? Um, Are you ready to be all done with this process? Or have you adjusted and adapted to this new way of life? The reason I ask these questions is because I was doing some research this past week on post-traumatic stress. And I started to look at the effects of trauma in our lives. And what I found was pretty interesting. I don't know if you know this, but the definition of trauma is this. It's a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. A deeply distressing or disturbing experience. So would seeing people in masks everywhere you go, would that count as deeply disturbing or distressing when we've never seen that in our country before? Um, Hearing the word worldwide pandemic and uncertain times over and over and over again, that would um, qualify as distressing or disturbing. Stay at home orders for the first time in my lifetime anyway, we're we're asked to stay in our homes, that can be disturbing or distressing. Death of loved ones. I know many people have lost loved ones, not only to the coronavirus, but in this season, they've lost loved ones and haven't even been able to have funerals or been able to grieve properly. And that could be disturbing and distressing. You know, certain items at the grocery store being unavailable, businesses shut down, sports shut down. Come on. I mean, talk about disturbing and distressing. Schools closed. And on top of that, we have yet another African-American man wrongfully killed in this country and an entire community wondering if and when this will ever come to an end if and when they'll ever feel equal in this country. A city that I personally lived in, in Minneapolis, for three years, broken, hurting, on fire. These would all qualify as traumatic events. The very definition of trauma. And when a trauma occurs, there are certain physical symptoms that ensue. And I I want you to take a minute as I go through some of these traumatic symptoms with you, I want you to ask yourself, have you felt any of these symptoms? One of the symptoms of psychological trauma is this, shock, denial, or disbelief. I don't know about you, but I experienced all of these 
so, so far in this uh, last two and a half months or so. I ask myself, is this really happening in our country right now? Are we really going through this? I couldn't believe that we were involved in a worldwide pandemic. I never expected to experience something like that in my life. Another symptom is confusion, difficulty concentrating. I don't know about you, but I have experienced this in the last couple weeks. It is so hard to concentrate. And I'm a person who is a self-starter. I, I know I get up in the morning, I have a plan for the day, I know what I want to accomplish, and I go after it. But I'm telling you, I haven't worked out in two weeks. I'm having a hard time concentrating. I'm, I'm experiencing this. Anger, irritability, and mood swings. I think that we can all agree that we have noticed anger at a higher level irritability at a higher level, mood swings at a higher level. Just look at the state of our country. We don't have to look any further to see this effect of trauma happening right before our eyes. Anxiety and fear, another symptom of psychological trauma. People feeling feelings that they've never experienced. Mental health Industries packed, antidepressants at an all-time high, sleep drugs at an all-time high. Why? Because we are experiencing symptoms of psychological trauma. Guilt, shame, and self-blame. A lot of people suffering with guilt right now. Could I have done more to prepare for this? Maybe if I got myself in a better financial situation before this happened, I wouldn't be experiencing as much struggle as I am right now. Guilt and shame and self-blame. Then you have withdrawing from others. People just saying, you know what? I just, I just need time to myself. I don't even want to be around other people right now. Feelings of sadness or hopelessness people feeling down, people struggling with depression who have never struggled with it, feeling disconnected or numb. These are all symptoms of psychological trauma. And I think we have to realize if we're going to move forward as a country, if we're going to change, if we're going to ask God to heal us, we have to understand that we are experiencing trauma. And what ends up happening and what's happening right now, we're in that stage of anger and frustration. That's the stage of grief and the stage of trauma that we find ourselves in as a nation right now. And when this occurs, we look to fight first and ask questions later. We become reactive instead of praying, seeking God, hearing his heart and his voice and allowing him to act through us, we begin to act in a physical way instead of a spiritual way. We become emotionally driven instead of spirit-led. So we have to understand that this anger and frustration is birthed in the fact that we are experiencing trauma right now. Last week we talked about a story in the book of 2 Kings chapter 6, and what you had at that time is you had the Armenians and the Israelites at war with one another. 
Now the Israelites in the Old Testament are God's chosen people. And the Armenians for no reason just decided to raid the Israelites. They wanted what they had and so they wanted to attack the Israelites. Well, God kept informing a prophet by the name of Elisha what the plans were of the Armenians. And so every time the king of Aram started to attack the Israelites, Elisha would hear their plan, go and tell the king of Israel, and the king of Israel would be ready for them. And so the Armenians could never attack them the way they wanted to. This, this frustrated the king of Aram, so what he did is he sent his soldiers, he sent an army to the house of Elisha to capture him, probably kill him, and torture him at the very least. But he wanted to put an end to Elisha tipping off what they were doing to the king. And when this happened, when Elisha's house was surrounded by the enemy, Elisha's servant got very nervous and scared. He went and woke Elisha up and he said, Elisha, my master, they've got us surrounded. And he was frightened and fearful. He was seeing with his physical eyes instead of his spiritual eyes. And so Elisha prayed a prayer. He said, God, open his eyes so that he may see that you are surrounding the enemy. And when the servant was able to see with his spiritual eyes, he saw a spiritual army surrounding the enemy. So that's where we ended in the story, and we really talked about the importance of seeing, experiencing this pandemic, and seeing with your spiritual eyes instead of your physical eyes, being spirit-led instead of emotionally driven. So I want to pick up the story and find out how this story ends, really. So let's pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 18. So, as the enemy came down toward Elisha, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elijah had asked. Elisha told them, he told the enemy, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. So what you have here is an army coming to attack Elisha, and Elisha prays, the army is struck with blindness, and then Elisha leads them right into the land of the Israelites, right before the king of Israel. Verse 20, after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. The Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and they were, there they were inside Samaria. Can you imagine this? You're the enemy, you come to attack one man, you're struck with blindness, and the next thing you know, you're surrounded by the enemy. You're probably fearing for your life, you're probably thinking, this is it, this is the end for you, we are in this trap now. Verse 21, when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? He's asking, now, now, now think about this, this is the king of Israel. The guy who is supposed to be the one leading everybody, right? 
He's the one who's supposed to have the wisdom of God. He's supposed to be the one making the crucial decisions. But what does he do? He looks to the man of God. He looks to the one who is spirit-led instead of emotionally driven. Because everything in your emotions at this time would tell you, hey, they've been trying to kill us for no reason. God has delivered them into my hand. Now I can have my revenge. Now it's time for me to have justice. Justice should prevail. In an act of war, they could have justified killing these men. Listen to Elisha. Love this response. Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? No, set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they'd finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. Listen to this. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. This is a very interesting story. Because they had a choice in this moment. Israel was faced with a choice. Do we act like every other nation who doesn't know God Or do we do something different? What is God's heart in this situation is the question they ask themselves. Not what does my flesh want to do? How do I want to respond in anger or frustration? These people deserve to die. No. They ask themselves, what is the heart of God in this situation? And I'm so grateful that the Israelites at this time had a man of God who knew God's heart to say, no, you don't kill them. No, you don't respond with violence. No, you don't act like everyone else in the world would act. We do things differently. And Elisha chose mercy instead of revenge. He chose grace instead of justice. I'm going to say that again. He chose grace instead of justice. How are you doing with that right now? You know, the divide in our country has been happening for a while, but it's getting more and more intense. I think we all can see that. The gap between the right and the left is, is widening. And I want to know, as Christians who are spirit-led, who spend time with God, how are you doing with wanting grace instead of justice? How are you doing in leading the way towards peace? How are you doing in hearing God's heart for the situation we find ourselves in instead of reacting with your physical, in a physical way? I want to read a portion of scripture found in 1 Peter 3, 8, verse 11. Now, Peter was an amazing man of God. And I don't think Peter gets enough credit. We talk about the apostle Paul all the time, and rightfully so. He did some amazing things for the kingdom. But Peter walked with Jesus for three years. Peter was chosen by Jesus himself, spent time. He he spent time walking with Jesus, eating with Jesus, ministering alongside Jesus. 
On the day of Pentecost, which by the way, today is Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, it was Peter who stood up and led. It was him who led this incredible Pentecost experience where the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples. And Peter stood up, and the Bible says he led thousands of people to the Lord on that day. It was Peter. Jesus said, Peter, on you, you're a rock, and I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter was this amazing man of God. Listen to what he writes. This is powerful. Finally, all of you, be like-minded. How many people? All of us. He's talking to Christians here. This is addressed to the church. Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Listen to verse nine. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. How are we doing there? How are we doing when a governor you don't agree with or a president you don't agree with says something? Are you repaying insult with insult? How are we doing on social media when someone posts something you don't necessarily agree with? Are we repaying evil with evil and insult with insult or Are we humbling ourselves? Being filled with love and compassion like Peter instructs us to do. Listen to verse nine, how it continues. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. What? Repay evil with blessing? Do you see how the word of God is so contrary to the way people think? And we've gotta know this, church. We've got to have this in our heart because if we don't know this, we're going to be reactive instead of spirit-led. If we don't know this, we are not going to show the world a clear picture of who God is. This is what Peter's begging for, for the church to lead the way in showing the world who God is, a loving, compassionate, merciful, and humble God. We need this message. We need to live our lives by these words. Listen to this. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. When you repay evil with a blessing, you inherit a blessing. That's what happened with the Israelites. Because they weren't reactive, because they were compassionate to the enemy, they inherited a blessing of peace instead of war. That's what happens when we choose to live our lives differently. Listen to verse 10. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Man, there is so much wisdom here. I don't even need to say another word, really. If we just listen to this passage of scripture and implemented it in our lives, the entire world would probably bow their foot at the, or bow their knee at the foot of the cross. Because they would see not hateful Christians, but they would see Christians full of humility, humbling themselves, being compassionate and kind and graceful towards people, choosing mercy and grace 
instead of vengeance and justice. Can you imagine what this world would do if they actually saw Christians operating in the spirit like this? This, this, this would be different. God would use us to change the world. Last week we talked about seeing with our spiritual eyes. How about reacting to trauma in a spiritual way instead of in a physical way? Reacting in a spiritual way instead of a physical way. When we do that, it changes everything. That means being sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble. I would like to challenge every person hearing this. The next time someone says something you disagree with, pause. Just for a minute. Just pause. This is so hard to do in a moment. Anyone who's been married understands this, but just pause for a minute. And ask yourself this, how can I respond with sympathy, love, compassion, and humility? How can I respond that way? Instead of letting that blood boil and be so ready for a fight, well, they said this, I'm gonna react this way. They do this, I'm gonna do this. We're not like everyone else, Christians. We're Christ followers. We're spirit-led. We are not called to be reactive. Verse 11, we must turn from evil and do good. We must seek peace and pursue it. Elisha did this. Another thing Elisha did is he diffused an escalated situation. Great leaders have the ability to diffuse, not fuel situations. People with wisdom have the ability to diffuse and not fuel stressful situations. That's where godly wisdom came. That's what Elisha did. I'll never forget when I was a kid, we went up north to my cottage and we were building a fire. My dad was teaching Tony and I how to build a fire. I think for one of the first times. And we, we got this, everything we needed for this fire, we gathered, you know. And, and when you're a boy, young boy, this is like amazing. Fire is like the coolest thing in the world. And so we're like awe in awe. We had this paper, we had this dry little, little wood chips, we had big logs, we had lighter fluid. Oh my goodness, this couldn't get any better. So my dad taught us, you know, you put the paper under there, and you put the kindling in, you put the logs on there, and then it came time to squirt this, the wood with lighter fluid. And so we did that, and then threw a match in there, and whoo, you had fire. Man, and it was a good fire. It was a good-sized fire. And then we kept adding more logs to the fire putting more things on it to, to add to the fire. And that fire got hot and bigger and bigger. And we were loving life because this was fire. But there's certain things you can do to add to a fire, to make it bigger, to make it hotter. There's certain things you throw in there. But then came time where the night was running out. We had to go to bed. And so we had to diffuse the fire. 
And in order to diffuse the fire, we just took some water and some dirt, threw it on the fire, went out like that. And I started thinking about this this past week is, are we fueling fires going on in this country or are we diffusing them? Are we choosing to add fuel to the fire or are we choosing to diffuse them? Because when you seek peace and try to pursue it, you become an expert at diffusing situations. Jesus was the best at this. People always came to him looking for a fight, trying to catch him in some kind of deceptive thing and and he just would re-ask them a question and diffuse a situation like that. He was so good at it. And when you're led by the Spirit, he gives you wisdom like Elisha had, like Peter has. You have an Old Testament and a New Testament person. What do they have in common? They knew the heart of God, church. How do you know the heart of God? How do you get to a point where you know what God's heart is in a situation? You spend time with him. You spend time in his word. When you actually read the words in this book, you begin to see that they're so different than what we think in our flesh. And when they sink in, when you meditate on this word, when it gets deep into your heart, when you build your life on the word of God, the solid foundation, when you build your life on the spirit of God, when you build your life on worshiping God, you then have the ability to defuse instead of fuel. You have the ability to bring peace wherever you go. And none of us are gonna be perfect at this, but we gotta do a lot better than we're doing right now. We've gotta do a lot better, all of us. And the results of what Elisha did, I mean, they went on for generations. Had Elisha chosen to kill those men, that king would have wanted vengeance. And before you know it, you would have had war for maybe generations and generations. But because he had the wisdom of God and the heart of God, he created unity instead of division. He created peace instead of war. Listen to the last part of of the scripture, of the story we read about Elijah. Listen to this one more time. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master So the bands of Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Can you imagine this conversation? The enemy comes back from Samaria, back to the Armenian land, back in front of the king, and the king goes, well, what happened? And they're sitting there going, yeah, well, we're kind of full right now. We're full and hydrated. (laughs) What? Yeah, not only did they not retaliate or kill us, but they've served us like the best meal I've ever had. They gave us everything we needed and they sent us on our way with like to-go bags, curbside, pickup. 
And they went home hungry and rested and well-fed. Can you imagine the king just stopping in his tracks and saying, man, they're better than me. That response, I would have not responded that way. These people must know God. They must have a compassion that only comes from him. I'm done raiding that territory. Do you see what peace can do? What acts of kindness and compassion, how they can diffuse situations? No, we want justice. We want blood. We want an eye for an eye. But Jesus said, no, we turn the other cheek. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with it? We have this great ability to bring peace to the world. And it's never been more important to spend time with God and react in a spiritual way than right now. Never. What if church, what if we built our life on the word of God? What if we really did? What if instead of just calling ourselves Christians and coming to church every once in a while, but we actually spent time in this word and knew it, but not just knew it, we actually did what it said. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to do it. What if we listen to the words of Peter and actually put them into practice in our own life? What would happen if we built our life on worship, prayer, and God's word and we were spirit-led across the board? I'll tell you what would happen. The world would be a different place than it is right now. There'd be peace in this country. A big movement that's happened since this worldwide pandemic started is a movement called Unite 714. And they've had several prayer meetings and teachings. And I was watching one a couple weeks ago and Rick Warren got on and he, he gave this illustration that I just thought was amazing. And I, I want to share it with you. He talked about how there were two plagues that, plagues that occurred in the first and second century. And what happened during these plagues is people were leaving the infected area. So there were obviously, just much like today, there were areas of the world more affected by the plague than other areas. And so people were moving out of these areas. But what shocked them is the Christians were moving into the areas. When everyone was moving out, the Christians moved in with compassion, with humility, with kindness and acts of love. They went in and they began to set up these stations and these beds and they started caring for the people who were infected. And the world looked at these Christians and it changed them. They said, what do these Christians have that I don't have where we're all trying to escape and leave, but they're willing to risk their lives to care for sick people? And the gospel spread because of it. 
the world saw a church that looked different than them. Not that was holier and judgmental and didn't sin. They saw a church that was compassionate and loving and kind. Who was willing to run into the fire to be there for people. And on top of the gospel spreading from that point on like crazy because of this act of love and kindness, hospitals were birthed. The invention of modern medicine and caring for people in one location, that was birthed from the Christians going in and setting up these beds that people could stay in. That's where our hospitals were birthed. God used it to create something amazing. What happened, church? If we knew the heart of God, if we didn't just react, but we knew what God wanted in situations right now, what would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. This world would change. Racism as we know it would go away. If the church could lead the way with compassion, with love, with kindness, if we could humble ourselves instead of justify behavior, if we could just humble ourselves and say, I'm so sorry. What can we do to be part of the solution? How can we stand with you? How can we bring peace to a divided country? How can the love of God and the compassion of God and the humility of God, how can that transform my life to you? How can I be there? How can I be part of the solution? The world would change. The church should lead the way here. The church should lead the way. We can lead the way. We can be full of love and compassion because we have the Spirit of God living in us. We can build our lives on God's Spirit, His Word, and worship, have that solid foundation that will never be shaken and respond in a way that the world goes, there's something different about them. They mean it this time. They're railing with us. They're changing the world. God must be real. This Jesus sky must be real because his people are showing us a clear picture of who he is and it's a good, loving, and compassionate God. I didn't know that, but now I do. Father, forgive us. Forgive us, God, because we react in the flesh sometimes. Humble us, God. Lord, we wanna be spirit-led. I want to know what it means to have a compassion for people like I never have, God. I want to see this country unified. I want to see racism come to an end in this country. 
I want to see the end of this worldwide pandemic, God. I want to see your hand move in a way that only you can move, God. I want to be part of the solution, not the problem. I want to be spirit-led instead of emotionally driven. God, put that in the hearts of your people today. Let it burn there, God. Let it create change in our hearts, God. So that we can be different, so that we can give this world a clear picture of who you are. In Jesus' name. We're going to sing a song called Build My Life. And just want you to take a look at yourself during this song and ask, am I building my life on the word of God right now and on worship? Do I have a foundation that is spirit-led? And let's seek God together for a couple minutes. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.